One of the things that I love about youth ministry is that God uses different people for His purpose. We don't all have the same background and life experiences. Yet our love of the Lord and our desire to have young people fully know Jesus unites us. Today, I'm going to introduce you to a fellow youth worker, a man who loves and lives for Jesus, and he serves young people. He's going to share his own story in ways that he engages and connects with youth. I can't wait for you to meet my friend, Adam Alfredson. So let's go ahead and get started. Have you ever felt that we are losing young people to the world around them and that they have already chosen to walk away from Jesus without even knowing him? And did you know that all young people are at risk for something? That's why I want to welcome you to the Jesus is my hashtag podcast where positive youth development and youth ministry intersect. I'm your host, Deb Schroeder. Join me weekly for encouragement, resources, and strategies to assist you in helping young people make Jesus their hashtag. Welcome back to the Jesus is my hashtag podcast. On this episode, I'm being joined by my friend and fellow youth ministry worker, Adam Alfredson. Now, I've known Adam for a little over three years. In fact, I first served with his wife as a small group leader of a group of sixth grade girls at our local church. It wasn't until a little later on that I actually got to know Adam and see his passion for young people in action. He served as my son Jacob's youth group leader when they went on a mission trip to Chicago. During that week, my son learned more about his faith and who he was as he grew a relationship with Adam and served alongside him. I'm incredibly thankful for that. Two of the things that I greatly appreciate about Adam is his love for Christ and his passion for young people. Those are things that we share in common, as well as our call to serve youth. Now, I could keep telling you all about Adam, but at this point, I'm going to ask him to introduce himself to us. Um, I recently moved down to Florida uh, with my family, uh, my wife, Stephanie, and, and four of our children. Um, ages three, five, nine, and 10. And then I, I have a 17-year-old son that's still actually in Sioux City, um, say with his mom. He is a senior with your boy, Jacob. He They will graduate this year. So I'll <laughs> um, be back in Sioux City for that. So um, yeah, I, I, um, I work at Youth for Christ down here in Polk, Polk County, Florida, um, Winter Haven, Florida to be exact. I've been on staff here for just a little over two years. So when we moved down here, I came on staff probably about two or three months after living down in Florida. You know, like I said, it's just me and my family. My wife is a teacher um, at a school called New Beginnings High School, um, where she gets to essentially minister to um, kids that are 15 to 24 years of age. Um, you know, kids that have been kicked out of school. Um, this is kind of their last step. So it's kids kicked out of school or coming back to school or, um, you know, 16 year olds with uh, babies and things like that. Just uh, And so I'm actually, I get to help love and minister, minister to some of the kids in that school, as well as um, other uh, at-risk, high-risk kids in our area. And I also go into uh, the juvenile detention center here in, in, in Polk County and, and get to minister to kids, whether they're there for a week a um, couple of them have been there for three or four years. A couple of them in there on murder charges. Um, 
you know, I get to spend a lot of time with one of the kids and actually he has surrendered his life to Christ um, through me coming in and, and ministering to him and just loving on him and explaining the gospel to him in a, in a very real way that relates to his life. It's, it's a very uh, person by person, case by case kind of thing. You hit the nail on the head. Every young person is unique. All young people have basic needs and developmental mm-hmm. outcomes that they need to grow and be able to use to help transition throughout adolescence and into adulthood. But at the end of the day, how we work individually with every young person, it is unique. And right. it's about the relationships we build and the connections that we can make with them. Right, right. Absolutely. We could just spend the whole time here today talking about what it looks like to build relationships with young people and swapping stories about working with youth in corrections. And as much as I would enjoy that, I do want to pause for a second. I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about your own faith story and how you got where you are today with your faith. As a kid, uh, very, very, very early on, I was I was born to a young girl who was 13 in Baltimore, Maryland, and my father was actually 18, down here in Florida, actually. Um, he met her at a party. He was in college in Baltimore for a semester. And, you know, they met and didn't didn't realize, you know, age and, and things like that. But, you know, she was at a college party. But you know, out of that came me. So um, I was adopted to Sioux City, Iowa, actually, by the time I was two years of age, raised in a home. You know, I had 10 siblings, all well, seven of the 10 were adopted. And then we had several um, foster kids in and out of the home. So it was really, it was kind of like one big group. <laughs> we lived in old farmhouse out in Morningside. So th- th- just navigating that and, and, and trying to find who I was, um, it was it was a struggle. It really was. So by the time I, I turned probably 10, 11 years old, I turned to gangs, you know, the streets. By the time I was 12, uh, I started using drugs. And actually, so... Just a little before that, when I was 10, um, I was actually molested by a, a family friend. Um, so that's, I think, kind of drove me further out um, into the streets and, 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 and chasing women and proving to myself that uh, I wasn't gay. I didn't like men. Um, so obviously that's not what that meant, but I had to prove that to myself. And then I said, so that drove me into the drugs, drove me into um, just being um, who society tells me I'm supposed to be you know, watching movies and, and different things, you know, that, that as a as a young black man, I'm supposed to uh, be ignorant. I'm supposed to be in the streets. I'm supposed to have my pants hanging, you know, below my bottom. I'm supposed to talk a certain way, act a certain way. So I fed into that. Um, and then, you know, as, as, a, as a youth, um, I would have been one of the kids that I get administered to. I just never was incarcerated. I waited um, until I was 19 for that. <laughs> and then, uh, so, you know, in, in, just in and out, in and out of, 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 of violence and, and toxic relationships and in different things. I decided that, you know, I wanted to be a drug dealer. Um, and so I had a, my oldest son, as I mentioned earlier, who's 17 now. But when he was born, I mean, his mother were in a relationship and it was very toxic. It wasn't healthy at all. But um, in that I was selling drugs and, and I would have him go to the door and, and, and you know, give people you know, their, their weed and take the money from them. And I'm training them up laughing. Like, oh, my son's going to be a G when he gets older, but not realizing that I was setting him up for failure. Um, mm-hmm. And to become a, a statistic, statistic like I was. Um, but it wasn't until I was, uh, it was my 26th birthday, 27th birthday. 
um, I had got pulled over in front of my sister's house, dropping my son off. We were going to go out for my birthday. And I got pulled over. I had two bags of, of, of weed in my pocket. And so they searched me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and they um, they found the weed, whatever, whatever. I'm sitting on the curb for like three hours. They brought me to my home. And then they found more weed, found scales, things like that. Um, so I was sitting in jail for my 27th birthday. <laughs> and uh, so in that, though, like, I, you know, there was, there was, I, God was working in that. Um, my dad, who, who, my adopted dad was a pastor. And uh, my mom actually uh, recently left him at that point. And he was, uh, he would speak life into me, though. Like, he would tell me um, that I was going to be uh, in ministry. And I would laugh at him because, you know, I grew up in church and I, but I wasn't in church but since the time I was 16. So it's been almost, you know, 10 years since I've been in a church. He, was, he would just speak that into my life. And I'm like, I'm not in church. Like, how am I going to be involved in ministry? Um, but in that, so, you know, after being arrested and, and things changing and going um, to trial and looking at five years in prison, my my attorney said um, that we were going to push for the for judgment. And I, I had no idea what that was. So I was like, all right, well, let's do it. You know, <laughs> and, you know, I sat before the judge and this is what kind of helped change my life. Um, you know, the judge asked me why he should grant me a deferred judgment. And I told him because um, I'm all my son has. And he jumped up and he slammed his hand on, on his podium and he, and he pointed directly at me and he said, you're all your son ever had. You know, and I'm sitting in the courtroom and I'm weeping. I'm, re- I'm honestly like weeping, um, just like snot cry. Like, wow, like that that hit me because I never realized it. And that didn't change me yet. I was still, you know, using and, and you know, so I got put in probation, put in treatment things like that, a two years probation. So when I completed everything, I would, you know, this, this charge would not magically go away, but it would, it wouldn't be a felony in the eyes of the state, but unless the, like a federal um, agent or something was looking, they would see that I had these, these drug charges. Um, and it was, you know, that was my third charge, third drug charge. So, you know, three strikes for out rule and, you know, the, the, the war on drugs and, and the mass incarceration, all of that. So it was out here. I was, you know, being a statistic that I allowed society to, to, to shape me into. Um, but so, but in treatment, I, I started realizing things about myself and a lot of the pain that I was carrying. Um, you know, so I started dealing with a lot of that. And also in that same sense, my dad is still ministering to me, loving on me, sharing the word with me. Um, and I'll never forget, I started going back to, to the home church because he actually took over as pastor of the home church that we grew up in, um, uh, AME church on the west side of Sioux City. Sorry, I'll never forget Easter, Easter Sunday in 2010. He had an altar call and he never gave an altar call because that church was kind of a dying church. There's only like six of us going to church, me and my sister and, 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 and a family of, of, of others that were there, you know, the brothers and sisters and then one of their kids. So it was, you know, never give an altar call, but that was God working. And, and on that day, uh, like I said, of 2010 and Easter I, is the day I surrendered my life over to Jesus. And, um, literally like immediately everything changed like i i didn't have a desire uh to use i didn't you know like uh treatment became a joy to me like to go and to share i started witnessing in, in treatment and, and and sharing the word as i read the word and um then <laughs> i met my wife on on facebook i shared i don't even remember what it was a post something about jesus and 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 uh she had been recently saved and so we just kind of started conversation and and grew from that ended up getting married seven months to the date that we started talking 
you know, it was, it was crazy because I celebrated a year of sobriety. And then three days after I celebrated a year of sobriety was my marriage, was my wedding day. So um, God was really just working in our lives. Um, you know, that we, we, we found church together. And then I remember one day I just kind of walked into uh, this, this, they were having like a, a like a conference of, of different ministries at the church. And I kind of walked into um, this, this room, had no idea what was going on. And, and it was a children's ministry um, meeting. And that day right there, I joined the children's ministry team at Heartland Community Baptist Church. And, you know, I just like, okay. Um, <laughs> all right, God, I, I, I see you moving, you know. And then in that, like right before that, um, my dad had actually died. And so he didn't get to see me really come into ministry, but just that, you know, I never forget uh, his encouragement and his words speaking life into me, telling me how I was going to be in ministry. Um, you, know, and, you know, being in a dark place and coming and Jesus bringing me out of that dark place and bringing me into a place of light and, and, and love. Um, it's really changed my life. And then, you know, as, as, as I moved, as we grew, you know, moved into youth ministry and, and, and things like that. But, you know, as, you know, it sounds pretty and it sounds great, but you know, our faith has, you know, always been tried and constantly been tried as a couple and, and, and separately. Um, you know, I was stricken with uh, a lung disease called sarcoidosis where I was in Mayo for a week and a half. I was in the hospital almost a month before that. You know, I thought I was going to die. Um, you know, uh, my then we had a son well my wife got pregnant with the son who she was allergic to for nine months and you know walked around with the rash and you know so then he was born um we named him Mazariah and um that means you know God helped so God really helped us in in that and then you know he falls into a fire and and, and dealing with that while she was pregnant again and with this pregnancy with our son Asher she was told that either she was going to die. He was going to die giving birth because of placenta was outside of the muscle wall. And, you know, but in that we, we've remained faithful um, and just lean really pressed into God um, where most people would, you know, run and be like, well, this isn't um, something I signed up for. No, it's not. But, you know, I, I was just talking yesterday to somebody um, and there's a rap song. And I, and I can't remember what the song is called. Um, but the, the rapper is illuminate and, he, and he's talking and he said that this faith walk is no cakewalk. And that's kind of been my motto is that it's not. It, it, it's, it's, you know, we think that when we surrender, um, things are going to be great and it's going to be beautiful. But it really sometimes it, it's a lot harder because, it, it you know, but it strengthens us and it, and it grows us through the trials and through the pain. You know, our pain is always turned into our purpose and God is going to use that um, for his glory. And there's so, so many different things helped to shape my faith and helped to shape my walk that I, I don't want to say like it's unshakable, but it is, you know, it, it, I don't want to sound conceited by any means, but um, I know, you know, that God is my, is, is my refuge. And I, and I, and that's where I draw my strength from. And, and, and my anchor is him. You know, I can, I can truly say that, uh, you know, through everything I've been through um, it's just, you know, it, God had used that and it's placed me um, and set me in places that most people wouldn't want to go to because of, 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 you know, the severity of, of, of certain things, you know, going into jails and you know, ministering. Cause I remember the first time I went into a jail cell or into a jail and just hearing that door shut, it, you know, kind of gave me flashbacks of right. when I used to be in jail, like, man, but I remember and remind myself like, no, I, look, I get, I get to go home. I get to get out, you know, and in an hour, two hours, three hours, I get, I'll be walking out, you know, and then it just, 
you know, it encouraged me because that's, um, you know, when I was going in and out of jail, there, was, there wasn't no one coming in speaking to me and speaking life into me and, and loving me. Um, and even as a youth, um, in my wild times running and trying to find my purpose in the world, there was nobody um, setting me down and, and telling me some truths about Jesus and, and sharing hope and, and, and um, showing me love through their actions. You know, my dad at a, at a later time did, but there was a time um, for many, many years where uh, he didn't really talk to any of us. Um, it was just, he was just present. He, he, you know, he provided food, he, he provided bills, you know, he, he brought in the check, uh, but that was about it. But it was, it was different. It was hard because, you know, he was a white man and, you know, all of us were black, black children and, and Hispanic children. And it was just hard. There was no connection. There was no, you know, by the, by a certain age, we look at it at ourselves and look at him like, like, this isn't really our parents. This is, you know, like, and then I struggled to find who I was and, and, and where I came from and my identity, if you will. And I've met my, I've met my biological parents and I have great relationships with both of them now and siblings. And now I'm at a place where it's like, you know, I searched and searched for them, but it doesn't, that still doesn't define who I am. You know, that's where I came from. And that's who God had used to to bring me into the world. But at the end of the day, my identity is in him. Right. And I think that's, you know, so we call this the Jesus is my hashtag. That's the name mm-hmm. of my ministry. And that really grew out of this desire that young people are going to create an identity. Mm-hmm. They in in the world of social media, they brand themselves. Yeah. They put themselves. They have their own hashtags of what they want to be seen as and what they want to be known as. And you even mentioned several times growing your identity. And that's the reality. All young people are trying to figure out who they are and who they want to become. And you talked about society defining that for you. There are Mm -hmm. our world is ready to define for young people who they are. We Mm -hmm. limit them sometimes as adults, or we write their story, or we think we know where their story is going to go, and we don't really. And so that's a huge part of working with young people is this piece around their identity and Mm -hmm. helping them figure out what that looks like. Um, I'm guessing you spend a lot of time talking about that with young people, and you're coming at it from a place that where I come from, I want their identity to be rooted in Christ because that is solid and right. that doesn't have to change. It's the the whispers in the world we hear around us and this image we put out to others. That's not always genuine and it's not always real. Sadly, our time is almost up and there is still so much more to say, but we are going to pause our interview right here. We will pick up the next episode with Adam joining us again and talking about how he helps young people figure out their identity. Hey there, fellow youth workers. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember what Matthew 937 tells us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, keep showing up and keep caring.